Thank you, Martin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look this morning at a story that may well be very familiar, we pray that the words might come to us afresh. Please take my words this morning and use them for your glory and to draw each one of us closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you've ever watched the quiz programme, Have I Got News For You? But, well done. As part of the quiz, there is always a round in which the contestants are shown four pictures. And there is always something that connects three of the pictures, and one of them is the odd one out. I don't know if anyone actually knows what the link is between three of those pictures on the screen. Somebody said they'd watched it, so you might have an advantage. <laughs> yes, spot on, Mike, that's right. Michael Gove is the odd one out because he deliberately left his son unattended in a hotel room while he and his wife went to a party in a room below. And the other three have all lost children accidentally. In the top right, we've got Miss Prism from Oscar Wilde's play, who accidentally left the baby in a handbag at Victoria Station. We've got Victoria Beckham, who drove to school with all her children in the car, apart from the child that she was meant to be taking to school. And David Cameron went out for Sunday lunch with his family in a pub and drove home, leaving his, his daughter Nancy behind. I think you can begin to see the link with our Bible passage this morning. Because Mary and Joseph left Jerusalem, but Jesus wasn't with them. I'd like us to see if we can imagine the scene that Luke describes. You might actually find that easier if you close your eyes rather than looking at the Bible at the moment. And I'd like you to imagine that you are either Mary or Joseph. You have been in Jerusalem for the most important festival of the year. You've been inside Herod's magnificent white and gold temple. You've worshipped with throngs of people. You've heard the joyous sound of trumpets proclaiming that the Passover lambs have been slain. It is the highlight of your spiritual year, a bit perhaps like spending a week at Spring Harvest or the Keswick Convention. And now you're walking back with your friends. You're discussing everything that's happened. If you are Mary, or you identify with Mary, you would be at the front with the caravan of women and children who would leave first and travel a bit more slowly. If you identify with Joseph, then you'd be at the back with the men folk. 
There are crowds of people with you. You feel excited, buoyed by everything that's happened. Conversation flows freely. And then the day draws to a close. You stop to pitch your tents. And Mary and Joseph would meet together for the first time that day. If you've closed your eyes, open them and just take in that moment when you realise that actually Jesus isn't with either of you. I think we can probably picture, can't we, the marital blame that follows. I thought Jesus was with you. No, he should have been with you. You should have checked. But he's a boy. He should have been with you and the women and the children. He's your responsibility. No, he's got his bar mitzvah next year. He's almost a man. Surely you know he didn't want to be with the children. You should have checked he was with you. Imagine frantically searching for Jesus among your family and your friends. Your mind would take in the dangers facing a young boy on the road alone. That's the whole reason that people travelled in a large group. Or perhaps you're thinking of a young boy left behind in Jerusalem in a city full of dangers and dark alleys. I don't know if it's an experience that you've ever had or you've experienced something similar. I know when our son Daniel was young, we visited a country park in the south of England and we met up with some friends that we hadn't seen for a long time. I was walking with my friend at the front and Andy was further back with her husband. And it wasn't until we got to the visitor centre at the end of the walk that I realised that Daniel wasn't with Andy and he realised that he wasn't with me. It's a heart-stopping moment. Fortunately for us, it didn't last for very long because a few moments later, Daniel appeared with a huge grin on his face sitting on the shoulders of a very tall park ranger who'd found him. But for Mary and Joseph, the worry went on. They spent a further day travelling back to Jerusalem looking for Jesus, another day searching for him in the city. Perhaps you could open your Bibles at our passage, which is Luke chapter 2, and we began at verse 41. And if you look at those early verses of the passage, verses 41 to 45, I'm not going to ask you to say out loud, but I'm just going to give you a moment just to think about what actually stands out for you in those verses. Verses 41 to 45. As I was reading it, the phrase that stuck in my mind is at the end of verse 43, where it says, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem 
but they were unaware of it. Let me say that again. They were unaware of it. Jesus hadn't moved, but they'd moved away from him. And it makes me wonder whether there are times in our lives when we slowly travel away from Jesus without even realising it. We're so used to him being beside us that we begin to take him for granted. Mary and Joseph were at a point in their lives when everything seemed to be going well. They'd had a great time. There was lots to distract them. And I think it's often, not when life is difficult when we lose sight of Jesus. In those times, we're often very aware of our need to pray to him and our need of his guidance. But sometimes when life is comfortable, when everything's going well, it's easy to begin to forget about him. I know when I was teaching full-time, sometimes I'd have a very difficult child in my class. And when that happened, I'd be very aware of my need, moment by moment sometimes, to pray for God's wisdom and guidance. But when life was easier, when I had a class that were very easy to manage, sometimes there was so much going on all around me, there was so much to distract me, that actually sometimes I could get to the end of the day and realise that I hadn't thought about God at all. I wonder if it's something that you identify with. But I don't think we've yet reached the main reason that Luke includes this story in his Gospel. At the start of our series in Luke, Jonathan told us that Luke says that he's written these things so that his readers may know the certainty of the things that they have been taught. So what is the certainty that Luke wants to draw out of this story? Why has he included it in his gospel at all? It's the only story we have in any of the Gospels that describes an event in Jesus' childhood or adolescence. There were other Gospels written around the same time that have stories of the boy Jesus who performs, quite frankly, bizarre miracles. And those Gospels haven't been included in our canon of Scripture because, quite frankly, there's something about them that doesn't quite ring true. But this story has a ring of truth about it, doesn't it? Why else would Luke include a story that carries the risk of Jesus being seen as disobedient to his parents? He has to address that in verse 51, where he tells us, that Jesus returned with, to Nazareth with his parents and was obedient to them. Luke also tells us at the beginning of his gospel that he's carefully investigated everything he's written. 
In other words, he's telling us that his gospel is true. He tells us that it's an orderly account. So nothing's been included without a reason. So let's look more closely at these later verses and try and see if we can find out why this story is here and what it tells us. Jesus is sitting at the feet of the teachers in the temple. And I'm sure, especially those of us who are mothers, can sympathise with Mary's anguished words. Why have you treated us like this? Because actually it's how we'd have reacted, isn't it? She's been searching frantically. But central to this part of the passage is Jesus. Everyone who heard him was amazed. He's listening, he's asking questions. I think we get a glimpse of the Jesus we meet later in the Gospel, who asks questions that leave the scribes and the Pharisees without answers. So far in Luke's Gospel, we've been told who Jesus is by the angel Gabriel and by Simeon. But if you look at verse 49, we've now got the boy Jesus in his own words telling us who he is. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? They're the first words spoken in any of the Gospels by Jesus. So let's look at them closely. I think we can all picture words that are spoken by children who think their parents are fussing unnecessarily. Andy told me a few weeks ago that a colleague of his was most put out because his 11-year-old daughter had looked at him, shrugged her shoulders and said, whatever. But if we imagine the tone of voice that Jesus used for these words, I don't think it would have been, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? I think rather it would have been, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? The words would have been spoken with gentleness, kindness, patience. Jesus is telling us quite clearly who he is. Jews might speak of God as our Father, meaning he brought their nation into being. They would never call him my Father. Jesus is saying, God is the father of me. In other words, from his own mouth, he is proclaiming that he is the son of God. Yet, the next verse speaks of his humanity, doesn't it? Because it says he was obedient to his earthly parents. 
we're reminded of the words of Philippians chapter 2. Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Luke wants us to know who Jesus is. That's what he wants to communicate with certainty. The first words that Jesus speaks in this gospel tell us that he is the Son of God. The last words he speaks in Luke's gospel before he dies on the cross give us the same message. He uses the same word, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Some versions translate these words as, didn't you know I must be about my father's business? Jesus knows, even at an early age, that he's come to do the father's will. This is the son of God who will die for the salvation of the world. He will humble himself and become obedient, not simply to Mary and Joseph, but to death, even death on a cross. So let's go full circle back to where we began. Mary and Joseph travelled away from Jesus without being aware of it. And there's always a danger that we can do the same. But if we walk without Jesus, we're not just leaving behind a friend we're leaving behind the Son of God. As Christians, we have got the privilege of walking with the Son of God beside us. As I read this story, my mind is taken to the end of Luke's Gospel, to Luke chapter 24, where we've got two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus. Jesus has died, and so they have been without him for three days, just as Mary and Joseph were without Jesus for three days. Later, their eyes are opened, and they realise what they hadn't realised in the beginning, that it is the risen Jesus who is walking with them. And afterwards, as they discuss it, what do they say? Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked on the road and opened the scriptures to us? The boy Jesus amazed those who heard him with his understanding. The risen Jesus illuminated the disciples' understanding of the scriptures Walking with Jesus brings his word alive to us. The boy Jesus caused Mary to treasure these things in her heart. Walking with the risen Jesus left the disciples' hearts burning within them. When we walk with Jesus and have a relationship with him, 
our hearts will respond to him. This morning, let's not forget the tremendous privilege we have as Christians. Let's not take Jesus for granted. If you know you're beginning the new year with Jesus close beside you, then rejoice because you are walking with God's Son. If you're beginning to lose sight of him, then let today be the day when you turn back towards him so that you can treasure in your heart the joy of sharing your life with the Son of God. And don't just treasure it. Tell others. Because if Mary hadn't told her story, we wouldn't be able to read it today and we wouldn't be able to thank God for the truths that it contains. Let's just take a moment to be quiet and to pray. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Lord Jesus, we worship you this morning for who you are. And we thank you that you humbled yourself and became one of us. We thank you for the privilege we have as Christians of walking with you. And we pray that as we begin a new year, you will help us to walk ever closer with you, day by day, and moment by moment. Amen.